This is Tabitha. Welcome to another edition of White Wellness. Today is July 12th, 2023. Broadcasting out of New York for White Wellness Radio. The song right there, Led Zeppelin. Your time is going to come, 1969. The topic and the title of today's broadcast is Stimulation Nation. And today we're going to be talking about the various habituations that many of us currently have that keep us stimulated and plugged into the Zog matrix. But first, let's do the word of the week or the word of however long it's been since I've done a live show. It's been quite some time. I've been doing a little bit of the mini clips, the tidbits here and there while I do my hikes and my walks and things like that. But I haven't done too many live shows this season. I've been really doing a lot of self type of stuff, transformational type of stuff, spending a lot of time on my own, doing a lot of self-care, learning a lot, just taking a step back a little bit from doing a lot of broadcasts. But when I do do one, I put a lot of uh, meat and soul into it. So the word, let's see what it is for today. It is Isabelline, I-S-A-B-E-L-L-I-N-E. Adjective used until the second half of the 19th century to indicate a grayish yellow or parchment color. It is found in the in an inventory of Queen Elizabeth's wardrobe, which included, quote, one round of gown of Isabella colored satin. The most explanation, the most likely explanation of the word's origins involve a story of that the Archduchess Isabella of Austria in the late 1500s, solemnly vowed not to change her small clothes, that's what they used to call underwear back in the day, until Ostend, a city to which her father Philip II was laying siege, was taken. To her dismay 
and that of her friends, the battle continued for another three years. So Isabelline, so that word, which I guess comes from the female name Isabella, has to do with a grayish yellow or parchment color. Interesting word, not one that I am familiar with. And I guess maybe it has something a little bit to do with today's show, slightly, if we're thinking of a grayish yellow color and that color, if someone has that kind of color to their uh, skin, like a pallor or a jaundiced look, that would have to do with ill liver health. And we're going to be talking today about the liver, not eating it. Um, that was a psyop, apparently. But we're going to be talking about the health of the liver, the detoxification and cleansing of the liver, and how this relates to this stimulation nation that we're living in, and how so many of us are flitting and fleeting to all different types of stimulation. And I'm not just talking about the classical stimulations, uh, the coffee, the booze, the marijuana. I'm talking more about um, other things like the addiction to uh, blue light. That's a big one, one that we really don't think about too much. Of course, I've talked a bit in the show about addiction to pornographic media. That seems to be a big one these days, especially for a lot of people younger and younger. Uh, shopping, gaming, anti-social media, which I guess would kind of be part of the blue light addiction, um, a low quality diet, um, even the negrification of, of music, all of these uh, beats that really I think aren't designed for the betterment of our mitochondria or chi, right? So there's a lot going on. And then of course we have this world where so many of us are drawn to stimulation or stimulants because of low dopamine because of foul liver health. I'm thinking now uh, about the LGBTP and how they utilize those bright colors, the Roji Biv, the rainbow, right? To pump out dopamine, bright colors pump out dopamine. So they're using those colors strategically. If their colors were, you know, gray and it showed a picture of a, you know, a mutilated victim of the agenda, I doubt it would really get people's attention. But they use something like the rainbow, which is the Bifrost Bridge in Norse mythology, a very appetizing symbol, something that I'd say every child is kind of just mesmerized and loves the rainbow. So a lot of this is done in a way where it's hard not to be subsumed with it, especially when it comes to blue light. And, and nowadays, I mean, look, I'm, I'm broadcasting right now live. I'm in my room. I'm inside. I've got my window open, so I've got some natural light coming in. I've got my screen turned down uh, as much as I can turn it down right now to be able to see stuff. And I'm also wearing a pair of AM blue blocking glasses, which should actually be yellow. I thought for a while that the ones that were clear were enough, but turns out that was another hoax. And those really don't do anything besides just drain your wallet of money. So you really need to get a pair for the AM that will filter out the blue light that are yellow. And then when we're talking about the PM, you wanna get an orange pair that will filter out the blue light. So where to start? Um, we're gonna weave in all this stuff about stimulation and liver health, because I think one of the reasons that so many of us are drawn to all these stimulants and stimulation isn't just because we live in this modern technological society, but I also think it's because our livers are not as healthy as they could be for a multitude of reasons. So let's start out 
talking about ways that we can naturally cool our body down. You might say to yourself, what does this have to do with the liver? Well, quite a bit, because one of the symptoms of having a liver that's on the fritz, that needs some support, needs some help, needs some detox, needs some cleaning, would be overheating easily. And of course, when we're talking about liver issues, we're talking about a, a multitude of things, a melange. We're not necessarily talking about cirrhosis when someone is alcoholic and they develop cirrhosis. That's a pretty hardcore example of a, of a liver issue. Jaundice is another one. Uh, lots of youngsters, lots of babies are born with jaundice. I myself was actually born with jaundice and we're told that it's a variation of normal. It's not. It's a sign that the mother actually had a liver issue whilst pregnant. And thinking about pregnancy, there's a condition or a condition that really is only recognized through the allopathic system shitstem via or through the lens of pregnancy. And that's a condition or condition called cholestasis. And that is when the bile, which is basically the poop of the liver, becomes sludgy. But this is something that happens quite often to people. They don't want to admit that because, well, then the jig would be up and then all the medicines and all the supplements and all the surgeries and all the, the whole thing, it, it wouldn't sustain much anymore, right? And they always tell you on Jugal, like, oh, you know, cholestasis, it's so rare. Uh, Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, it's so rare. It's not, actually. A lot of people are walking around with a very, very compromised liver. And one of the like I said, symptoms of a compromised liver is heating up. And oftentimes we'll just tell ourselves, oh, it's the summer, I'm quote, getting older, which is a terrible mantra, a terrible uh, programming or programming to do to oneself. So let's get into this. Summertime blues. Whilst many of us are excited that summer has finally arrived and look forward to savoring the season, countless others equally dread the onset of summertime. This is because symptoms like joint pain, anxiety, hot flashes, and night sweats are often aggravated during the hot and the humid weather. Thankfully, there are many things we can do to reduce these symptoms and help make the heat more manageable. So here are a couple of simple tips, and some of them will help a little bit with liver health. Not really getting to the root, but this may help alleviate some of the symptoms, which is is good but it's not all the way there but still it's nice to be able to have something um, affordable and easy to access in our arsenal when we need to cool off quickly and of course you know many of us are living in different areas of the states different areas of the world here in new york we have hot summers but we also have humid summers now some areas of the country like in the southwest they have dry summers where it's so unbearably hot, it's oftentimes not safe to go outside midday. Here in New York, it is safe to go outside midday, but you wouldn't want to spend probably all day outside. Um, you might, you know, get too much sun. And there is a such thing, of course, as too much. Most people are probably getting too little. So here are some keeping it cool tips. Carry a fan, place a washcloth, a cold washcloth on your neck or spray yourself often with water. It's also actually nice to spray your face with just some rose water. If you have a little glass jar of rose water that you can keep in the fridge and you can spray your face with that, it's also very hydrating, nice after the shower. 
You could also stay hydrated by drinking at least 64 ounces of water a day. That's a good idea too. Of course, filtered water that you remineralize in some way. I really advocate for the use of a water filter if you are in a position where you can't afford or if you're renting and you can't get a whole house filter, at least get something you can put on the tap for your drinking water, your cooking water, etc. Eat smaller and lighter meals during the summer heat with some more cooling foods, sometimes salads, things like that are better in the warmer weather. Now in the um, the dead of January, would you want to be eating a salad? Uh, probably not. Would ladies want to be eating a very cold raw salad during their period? Probably not. Would you want to eat a raw salad immediately postpartum? Probably not. There's always going to be times when this is contraindicated like anything else, but eating um, cool foods in a hot temperature, cool foods yin, hot temperature yang, keeps the body cooler, right? Something else, maintain your electrolyte balance with healthy foods that are high in potassium. Such choices like avocados, celery, and leafy greens. And I would of course recommend if you're going to eat leafy greens, and I'm talking things like kale, those should always be cooked. Always cook those kind of heartier leafy greens. You don't want to be eating those things raw, like things like baby kale. I, I don't really go for that. If I'm having a salad, I'm doing butter lettuce, I'm doing iceberg, um, romaine sometimes. Not a big fan of the way romaine tastes, it's a little too bitter for me, but I'm doing more things like that than eating greens that really should be cooked raw. That can be tougher on digestion and not so great for the thyroid. And then finally, if tolerable, keeping the AC a few degrees higher than normal to make indoor and outdoor transitions easier. So a couple of easy applicable tips right there, but like I said, it does not get to the root cause of what could be a liver issue, which could be affecting the adrenals, which could be affecting the blood sugar, and ultimately, of course, affecting the liver. So a couple of little tips right there to beat the summertime blues. Okay, moving along on this broadcast, talking about some other stuff. Let's see what else, what direction should I take this? Ah, I think I'll talk about the sun a little bit. Now the sun has been villainized so much in society, um, probably more than, oh, I, got, I think of the things that have been villainized in society. What are the top ones? Uh, meat, the sun, um, being normal, uh, being healthy, um, being happy has even been villainized too when you think about it or weaponized like we're all expected to kind of not be happy or be constantly living in drudgery constantly being stressed like that's considered like some type of um, award or reward these days um, and also the idea too I was thinking about this today the idea how a lot of people actually develop a personality or a comfort around uh, being ill, how it gives them an identity of being ill in a way they want to be ill, which may sound kind of like a wild and crazy thing to say, but after a while, if that's all you talk about, that's all you become. And that, of course, could be a root cause of something more intense, like having some type of, of liver issue that keeps you in that down and out state. And they say in TCM, of course, that the liver is tied to, you know, anger and angst and 
irritability. So there's definitely more to it than just, you know, saying this is how I'm going to feel and, and that's it. I think we get into these steads where we almost fetishize our pathologies or diseases because it becomes an uncomfortable comfort. I know that sounds kind of like a wild thing to say, but I see it all the time in people. And it actually, it somewhat infuriates me. Like we all have to think sometimes, like what are the things that you yourself, talk about myself now and, and you listening, that we have to work on ourselves that bothers us and could be possibly negatively affecting our liver. One of the things like for me that does that is when I hear a story, I'm talking to someone, I'm texting, you know, a friend or family member or something like that. And I just hear how they're just stuck in this victim consciousness and that they are okay with just, you know, doing all these things that ultimately don't work or totally just resorting to, you know, the allopathic process, allowing an allopath to pathologize them, to diagnose them, you know, to give them basically an identity via dis-ease and then create that victim consciousness, right? And that to me, when I hear about that, that I find personally infuriating. And I guess I have to find a way to let that go because there are always people who do want to take the advice and, you know, do want to do the counseling and, and do want to do the work and do want to get the results and do want to be proactive and responsible. But some people, as sad as it is to accept, they kind of enjoy this victim consciousness because then they can engage in all their stimulants and all their stimulating behaviors and they don't have to do anything to change themselves. So it, it, in a way, it actually serves them. Wild stuff. So the sun, it's been totally, totally victimized. People think that, of course, as we know, it causes the big C, cancer, and that we get vitamin D from it. And I guess that's true to an extent, but of course you have to have other cofactors going on, other minerals and vitamins in your system, something like magnesium would be one. Uh, there's also this ridiculous rumor that when you go out in the sun and you get vitamin D, don't take a shower or you'll wash off the vitamin D. That sounds real shit for brains. It just It just does, and it's actually a hollow hoax. But the sun does so much more than just that. And I should also backtrack by saying that no one should be taking a vitamin D supplement. That's actually a hormone. It's not really a vitamin. Uh, it's something that we shouldn't be taking. We should either be making it through our uh, exposure to sun. There are certain foods that claim to have vitamin D in them, but the research I've come across as of late suggests that that form of D or whatever is in those foods, like let's say mushrooms or uh, fatty fish, like salmon and mackerel and stuff like that, it's actually very different than the D that we get from the sun. There's also some talk that people will manifest a vitamin D deficiency on an allopathic blood test because they are vitamin A toxic. So there's that too. Of course, when you get um, an allopathic blood test for vitamin D, they only test one form of it. There's actually an active form and a storage form. So there's a lot to this. Uh, but yeah, don't take those supplements. I think actually there's something in them that was used for traps they put out for rats to actually poison them to, you know, to kill vermin. And also people take it because they think in the short term, kind of like fish oil, that it's going to quell inflammation because everyone's obsessed with quelling inflammation because a lot of these diseases, these modern diseases that people have, regardless of what they are, they're all causing liver lag, obviously, but they are sources of 
inflammation, but if you take vitamin D, it will actually calcify your soft tissue. So it's really something that you do not want to be taking. Um, allopaths and functional medicine doctors, which are essentially just Zoglite, you know, they just push supplements the same way that mainstream Zog allopathy pushes um, medications and white pills. It's really no difference. They also will push medications as well. Uh, they like to push it because they don't really know how the body works and how to actually really, if you cleanse the organs, you don't have to take all these things to get rid of inflammation. Um, yeah, it's very simple, but it's a shame that a lot of modern doctors are just, you know, mechanics. And of course, I'm not talking about the emergency care things like broken bone and, you know, that type of stuff. That's a, that is different. I'm talking about allopathy, allo meaning other, pathos meaning suffering, when you're already suffering and they give you something else to make you suffer in a different way. That's what I'm talking about. So back to the sun, people think it causes cancer and that um, vitamin, you get vitamin D from it, right? So what does the sun actually do? Well, it elevates your mood. It regulates your circadian rhythm, which is highly important. It's um, something that is the missing link in most people's lives is having that circadian rhythm health. It was for me up until rather recently, actually. And this is all ancient stuff. This is not just some new stuff that's been out for the last you know, 50, 20 years. This is old TCM, old traditional Chinese medicine, old Ayurveda. They all knew about this wisdom. It's just been suppressed. It also increases melatonin production. And when you get bright light at nighttime, it messes with your melatonin. Uh, the sun protects you from major dis-ease. It will balance your hormones, which is a great thing because everyone these days, especially ladies, younger and younger in their 20s, uh, not, even just, not just the ladies who are in their 50s, are dealing with all types of hormonal balances. They try the supplements, they try the medications, they try the diets, they try all these things, but are they getting out in the sun? Are they keeping circadian rhythm health? Are they blocking blue light? The chances are the answer is no. The sun also increases muscle mass and bone density. It increases sex appeal, absolutely. Who doesn't like a tan on somebody, right? Very sexy stuff. And you also get the full spectrum of colored light. You get the whole thing. When we're inside and we're under fluorescent light, whether it be the fluorescent lights in our home, whether it be the blue light from our technology devices, we're not getting that full spectrum of light. It's almost like eating a processed food. It's called junk light, just like junk food. That's why it makes so much common sense to invest a little bit of money in these products that actually will block the blue light, especially at night. I mean, you really shouldn't be using your devices after sunrise, like if you really, after sunset rather, if you really wanna keep things top tier. But if you have to look at those devices, don't make a habit of it and make sure you're wearing some protective lens whilst you're doing that. Otherwise your body, your, your eyes rather, which are a part of your brain, your eyes are a part of your brain, it will trick your brain and your eyes into thinking, oh, it's uh, 12 o'clock, right? When really it's like 10 o'clock at night. So these things add up. Um, so it's very important stuff to be aware of. And now I think of all the youngsters because these days, you know, many of us probably listening to this, we grew up with the TV or the Tomlin vision. We grew up with the lights in the house, but 
these devices, these smartphones, these, these mobiles, these tablets, this is all rather new for the majority of us, right? I mean, I got my first smartphone, um, hmm, I don't know, uh, 2012. It's only been about a decade or so. But what about these youth, these youngsters who are growing up completely and totally inculcated? They get an iPad as a child, you know, like they have all of these things. I mean, they're being exposed to this blue light from a very, very early age. And everyone's probably heard a story or maybe experienced it themselves where a youngster will throw a tantrum because the device is taken away from them. That's because blue light is not just toxic, but it's also addictive. And it's really child abuse to allow a child on these devices, especially without you know wearing the proper eyewear. And now we wonder why are all these kids sick? Why are they mentally ill? Why are they on drugs? You know, maybe that's another part of it altogether. A terrible diet, you know, an abusive birth. I mean, vaccination, circumcision. I mean, the the list goes on. But I think one of the reasons we see so much of this bad behavior in the youngsters is because they're blue light toxic. I mean, what's going to happen over time if every day your entire life you're being exposed, you're being blasted, not just with non-native EMF, but you're also being blasted with blue light, which is telling your body that it's, you know, it's the middle of the day when it's the night, which also can actually mess with your glucose levels too. So if you're um, fiddling on your phone whilst you're eating a meal, not only are you not going to digest your meals uh, well or at all, because you need to be able to relax to stimulate those gastric juices. So if you're looking at something else, you're taking your energy away from digestion onto something else. And then you're exposing yourself to blue light, which will actually mess with your glucose levels. So you can be doing all the right things, getting the sleep, eating the good diet, working out, liking your job, having a good marriage, keeping the company of, of good humans, you know, having uh, creative outlets and hobbies, having a faith or a spirituality, but your blue light toxic and you're basically your circadian rhythms are piss poor. So oftentimes like in this, all these health milieus, the focus is diet, 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 diet. Yet all these people are using some type of stimulant, right? Because they don't have their circadian rhythm hygiene legit. That's what's essentially happening. And then they wonder why they're doing the diet so religiously, right? They're doing it to a T and they wonder why they still feel like shit. This is the missing thing. And the reason this isn't really being promoted in a lot of places, it's free. I mean, yeah, getting a pair of blue blockers is going to be a bit of an investment. Getting some blue light, blue light blocking, um, bulbs for the house is an investment, maybe getting a screen protector for your devices or your TV. Those are investments, sure. But going outside and getting light is free. Why do you think there's all those chats about, you know, Bill Gibbs trying to block out the sun, all the things with the, quote, climate change, with the zog fog, because they know we're so dependent on the sun to keep these circadian rhythms, and we always have been. Let's take a gander at the chat right here. The dude that does not abide is saying, as a road construction worker, I can attest that these solutions do indeed work. Well, that is good to hear. Thank you for sharing that. 
And yeah, they do really work. They're simple. Just sometimes people people don't want simple. They want complicated, which sounds kind of mind-zoggling, but oftentimes people want to do the complicated thing. They want to take 20 supplements. They want to wake up at 5 a.m. and do CrossFit fasted on espresso. They want, they want to kind of suffer and they want to do the hard thing because they sometimes they don't believe that it's so simple and easy. Health actually is quite simple. When we get rid of all the complications and convoluted ideas and all the shills out there, it's actually pretty simple. So let's talk now about how we can convert food to energy and how the metabolism works. And no, I'm not talking about the pro-metabolic diet or the pro-metabolic community. I actually think that that is NLP or neuro-linguistic programming for us to think that that is a way to live and eat that is metabolism supportive, but it seems to be the exact opposite. And it would be just like Big Z to promote something that's the exact antithesis of what it actually is. I mean, so many people get insulin resistance and leptin resistance on that diet. They get overweight or seriously uh, obese. Many of the people who are actually in that milieu as uh, public figures are overweight or obese. And yes, there are certain times and certain instances where a person will need to gain weight for their health. It's not a very common one. Maybe if someone was anorexic, um, maybe if someone had like, some of wasting disease, but most people, if anything, would more likely need to lose weight or maintain their weight and just kind of get more muscle mass then they would actually need to gain a ton of weight to reset their metabolism. I mean, I've heard stories of especially women gaining like 50, 60 pounds, like bad, really, really bad. And then, you know, the, the more you gain, typically the harder it is for it to take off and then the fattier your liver can get and the more cholestatic you can get. And, you know, the older people get, they usually believe that it's harder to get it off. And sometimes that can be true, especially if their body is more toxic. So let's talk about how the metabolism actually really works in a truthful and honest way. Converting food to energy, learning how the metabolism works. So what is metabolism? Metabolism is a process by which the foods and drinks we consume are converted into energy. We may not notice the cellular mechanisms that transform fat and glucose, that would be lipids and carbohydrates, into the oomph in our step. But when they start to wane, we definitely know something is wrong. We may feel lethargic and weak, our brains may get foggy, or we may start putting on weight around the belly with blood pressure, blood glucose, and triglyceride levels on the rise. And these are all things that typically start to happen to people maybe around 40, maybe it used to be 40 or 50. Now it seems like it's happening 30 or younger, which is really um, crazy, but people are breaking down a lot quicker because the environment is more toxic, the diet is more toxic, um, the media is more toxic, everything is more toxic. It's very unfortunate. When if you really think about it, if you're living a simple life and everything is pretty good in your life, it's not really so toxic. It's just that if you're out there and you're suffering and you're struggling, then it's really toxic. In most cases, modifying our diet is the most powerful way to regain vitality and get those biomarkers back on track. Yes, modifying diet is very important. So is modifying our mind and creating a mental shift, like a mind shift or a mindset, super important. But also 
keeping our circadian rhythm health is also really important. I recently got this great book all about fatty liver and how one can reverse it. And it's got a lot of good information here, very solid, not super restrictive, easy to follow, um, just solid information. But they neglect to mention that, and, and most places and diets do. And hey, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. I neglected to mention it for a long time. I didn't really uh, see the importance of how, how necessary, how um, invigorating and vitalizing it was to actually live by these rhythms, these natural rhythms. Remember, Mother Nature is never wrong. We can disobey her as often as we want to. I mean, look, we live in a world with the veneration of um, criminal blacks through BLM. Mother Nature obviously opposes that. We live in a world where we believe that there is an invisible particle called Oyed AI floating through the, uh, you know, the air that's going to knock out any person randomly. Mother Nature opposes that. We live in a world where we're told that a man who has a penis and testicles and body hair and a deep voice and testosterone can get rid of those things and be a woman and be accepted into women's spaces and possibly even get a uterine transplant. Mother Nature knows that's a hoax. So whenever we deviate from Mother Nature, we have to expect that some form of suffering is going to occur. Metabolic imbalance occurs when the body stores fat but cannot access it or burn it as efficiently. And that's essentially what fatty liver is. The liver gets loaded up, it becomes fatty. If you've ever seen pictures of fatty liver, it's, it's not pretty. It's, it'll scare the shit out of you. It's, it's a very unappetizing picture. You see a picture of a healthy liver, which looks kind of uh, brownish, maroonish. It looks like a healthy, you know, the healthy lobes of the liver. And um, when the liver is functioning efficiently, it's the major fat burning organ in the body. It is also able to pump excessive fat out of your body through the bile, but you have to have good bile flow. A healthy liver helps keep your weight under control. That's why we say sometimes, well, how does that person keep slim effortlessly? You know, they seem to even eat a little more widely than other people. How are they doing it? And then we see someone else who's doing all the things and so stringent and they just cannot lose weight. The reason why is because a fatty liver is clogged with fat. It is unable to function efficiently and stores fat instead of burning it. So if you're not burning it, you're storing it, and that's why people can't lose weight. And as people get older, you know, medications, drugs, alcohol, uh, coffee, uh, stress, trauma, um, surgeries, um, the list goes on and on and on. You know, all of these things, they add up, and then you know, the liver gets fatty. So here are some uh, interesting facts. In one year, our body manages about 1 million calories in and out. We never get exactly what we need on any, on any day, so we must be able to store and release energy in a healthy fashion. However, people get better at storing and poorer at releasing. That is key. This is a big part of gradual weight gain and accompanying fatigue. So they store and they cannot release. Good metabolic health is indicative of having steady energy levels and maintaining a good body weight where there's too little energy available and the body cannot make energy well, we would call key in the East or mitochondria in the West. I see symptoms or there are symptoms of metabolic imbalance that manifest as mental fatigue, poor memory, 
less muscular endurance, less recovery from exercise, weight gain, and resistance to weight loss. These are all signs of a sick liver, a fatty liver, a cholestatic liver. If not addressed, the metabolic imbalances will lead to things like obesity, cardiovascular dis-ease, kidney dis-ease, insulin resistance, diabetes, and non-alcoholic fatty liver dis-ease. That's the fatty liver dis-ease that you get from not being alcoholic. So yes, you, people always think, oh, you know, the only way to damage your liver is, you know, by slamming booze. Yeah, that's, that's one way to do it, sure. Um, but there's a lot of other ways you can damage your liver by not, you know, you don't have to be slamming down tons of booze all the time to damage your liver. There are, are so many ways you can do it. Certain lifestyle choices can throw our metabolism out of balance, which includes, includes the overconsumption of carbohydrates, processed foods and caffeine, frequent snacking and late night meals and ill sleep routines. I would also add um, poor circadian rhythm health. Too much stress from all of these things creates a hormonal cascade that promotes storing fat instead of using it. So of course, the SAD diet, um, terrible, um, funny that that's the acronym, kind of funny, sad, funny, but of course it's a highly inflammatory diet. Any Western diet, the SAD diet of America, the SAD diet of Canada, the SAD diet of Australia, the SAD diet of, of any, you know, uh, white Western civilization, any first world country for the most part, not all, but for the most part is going to be high glycemic load, refined carbohydrates, high fructose corn syrup, um, polyunsaturated fats, tranny fats. These are some of the biggest offenders of metabolic health. And notice today that there's so much of a um, emphasis, an onus on the polyunsaturated fats, which is good, right? Obviously, like we shouldn't be eating industrial oils, but I see that this is being psyoped because a lot of people promoting this are also like playing um, offense for the other side, but they always play both sides. Remember that all both sides are always going to play be played. So if they're promoting something like, you know, the vegan diet, they're also going to be promoting the carnivore diet, which, you know, one's very yin, one's very yang, but both are wrong because they're going to be promoting things in both sides, which are, are wrong. But as they're promoting the idea that poof is the worst thing in the world, they're telling you pound the liver, eat tons of liver right? It's, it's, it's bullshit. Notice how they tell you to eat all this liver. Yet, what about cleaning our liver? There's no talk of that. All they tell us is to eat the liver of another animal. What if we focused and got back to basics and actually cleansed our own organs, as opposed to being obsessed with eating the organs of another species? So how do we correct this liver function? Well, we don't eat shit. That's number one, just to be kind of blunt. Don't eat shit. Don't eat shit food. Don't eat garbage. Yet, I know that when someone is very stagnant, when they're dealing with lots of key stagnation, when they have no energy, when their mitochondria production is poor, they're not really going to be motivated to work out, to go for a hike, to get up early, to lift weights, to cook their own food. You know, they're going to be tired and fatigued and it's going to make a lot more sense for them just to get some whatever they can muster up, you know, at the store or maybe just to get some takeaway food because they feel so sludgy. So you have to start small. I usually recommend to clients that you take one day a week when you have some free time. Most people, it's typically a Sunday and you prep some meals on that day of the week. You prep easy things 
that you can eat that can be made ahead of time that heat up nicely and then you put them into pyrex containers in the fridge glass containers and then you eat that throughout the week like let's say you make yourself some hard-boiled eggs you make yourself some grilled chicken you make yourself a soup with some bone broth um, you make a potato salad for yourself i mean maybe make some grilled vegetables maybe you prep some salad ingredients when you put it all together you can put it all together right maybe you prep some roasted vegetables um it doesn't have to be super hard you can also get in the idea or the stead of things of keeping a regular menu right like writing down what you want to make but it's nice to start out with a baseline and it's also nice to know what you're eating the next day too many of us we don't know what we're eating the next day and then we just end up eating whatever is available which is a terrible habit so correcting the liver function the key mechanism to correct and maintain metabolic health is helping the liver to function well it makes sense right once corrected it is not difficult to maintain metabolic health if people eat reasonably healthy the liver is the main site for storing the body's fuel it does this in the forms of glycogen and triglycerides when things go wrong there's too much of one relative to the other we need some glycogen which comes from carbohydrates to burn triglycerides kind of like how you need kindling to burn a log the problem is triglycerides building up in the liver and of course when someone has high cholesterol that means the liver function is low and that also means that the thyroid function is low the thyroid is the master gland it's the check engine light of the body so the body's very intelligent when one thing goes on the lag it's going to down regulate the entire body uh, even many years ago i believe that hypothyroidism was actually referred to as a pseudo liver disease it is a liver disease if your master gland has to go to low production mode that means that your liver is in a toxic state so to fix the liver or to erect fatty liver you need adequate protein and adequate nutrients but a low enough amount of total carbohydrates and healthy fats you also need adequate levels of glucose a simple carbohydrate we get from the foods we eat so basically you want to eat less refined and processed foods more real nutritious foods pairing carbohydrates with protein making sure to exercise manage your stress levels and avoiding sugar now if you want to have something sweet you can do fruit you can do a little bit of maple syrup or honey but i wouldn't be pounding those things again you see in the pro metabolic community people pounding the carbohydrates pounding the saturated fat pounding the protein if you're going to eat a lot of carbohydrates and a lot of fat you're going to get fat that's just how it works and over time people who do the very 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 low carb diets who do very high fat and high protein they end up getting fat and when you eat that high of an amount of protein you can damage your liver and your kidneys and of course i've never um suggested anyone eat more than let's say what 100 or maybe 150 which is still kind of in the higher range like there are people out there who are suggesting people should eat like 200 plus grams of protein eat two pounds of meat a day i don't think that's sustainable um, it's kind of expensive especially if you're buying really good meat and this is going to really tax your body but people do these shit for brains things when they're cutting out food groups right i mean you really shouldn't be cutting out food groups like not eating sugar is not cutting out a food group not eating like 
you know, processed wheat is not cutting out a food group. It's, it's just not, not eating like, you know, processed A1 dairy, you're not cutting out a food group. Like these, you're not eating poofas or seed oils. These are not food, these are not foods to start out with. Like people, people get overweight by eating these things that aren't foods in the first place. Those are some basic ideas about how the liver can be corrected and how we get to that point in the first place. It doesn't happen overnight. Nothing happens overnight. It's a gradual thing of the years building up of, you know, the bad food, the medications, you know, the recreational drugs. I really think the blue light plays a role in this too. I think of, you know, the last couple of years, especially during the height of Oyed AI, during the quote lockdowns, a lot of people gained um, weight because they were just, you know, fiddling around on their computer, getting heaps of blue light. Like it was, it was very, um, you know, it was like, it was very encouraged to stay inside, to go outside was considered, you know, not, not a good thing for a lot of people. So, all right, moving along with some more information on this broadcast stimulation nation. So we just talked a little bit there about the sun. We talked about the metabolism. We talked about keeping cool all of these types of things. So when you become um, blue light toxic, and I, I believe it's quite addictive too, that's why it's really important to wear these corrective lenses. Of course, you can get blood sugar issues from your diet, from having you know, a terrible diet, from being really stressed out, from having a bad sleep pattern, bad circadian rhythm, but blue light itself could also give you these kind of hypoglycemic um, feelings, which is crazy to think that that could actually do that. It could even raise cortisol. It could cause fatigue. Um, too much blue light can actually cause sugar and carbohydrate cravings. Yowza. It can make someone irritable, make someone hungry soon after meals, uh, give someone brain fog or difficulty focusing, give someone depression and anxiety. And how uh, common is it to people to talk about how depressed they are, how anxious they are. And then I always ask myself, are these people getting sun? Are these people eating adequate protein? And are these people addicted to stimulants? And most of the time, the answer is their sun hygiene is piss poor. They're getting very little, if any, protein, and they're addicted to stimulants. And they wonder why they have anxiety. They're creating it themselves. So back what I was saying before, they actually have become comfortable being sick and they're actually, they like it to us. I know it sounds, it sounds wild, it sounds kind of crazy, but in a way they've created that. They've created that stimulation nation inside their body as a mindset and it's become their identity. It's become a comfort to them. So there are things that mess with glucose intolerance. Blue light at night late bedtime, having stressful thoughts, sedentary days, even such a thing as over-exercising. Now, most people are probably guilty of under-exercising or maybe exercising sporadically where they go all out one day and then they feel like shit and they've got to, you know, reel it back in to kind of keep a homeostasis going on. But there are a lot of things that can mess with glucose tolerance besides just not eating enough protein, right? But all of those things, having a late bedtime, 
really um, should be in bed by 10 in the summer and 9 in the winter, even earlier if you can, just so you know for a good, a good uh, base marker on that. So a late bedtime, blue light at night, stressful thoughts, sedentary days, over-exercising, all of these things can mess with our blood sugar, even if we're eating a good diet, right? Or what we think is a good diet. Most people's idea of a good diet, it may not even be a good diet, right? What else is there? Um, and you have regulation over all of these things. So if you make good food choices, if you have good patterns of eating, that's another thing. It's not just important to eat good food. It's important to eat on a schedule. That's another reason people don't feel that well and they're, they're running for the stimulants is because their eating patterns are piss poor. You want to eat around the same time every day. And you don't want to eat too much in your later meal, which I know for a lot of people, they work all day and they're like, now I get to come home. Now I get to eat like my meal, but it really behooves you to eat a larger meal for your lunch. You also have control over your exercise frequency and intensity. You have control over your perceived stress, your sleep quality, your circadian rhythm, and your hormone balance, and more when your blood sugar is regulated. So these are the things we have control of. A lot of people just get comfortable being miserable, then they have to ask themselves, like I said, is their circadian rhythm hygiene terrible? Is their protein intake terrible? And are they addicted to stimulants? And if those three things, you know, protein is crap, circadian rhythm is crap, and stimulant addiction, of course they're gonna have blood sugar issues. Of course they're gonna be anxious, depressed, have maybe weight issues, right? I mean, that's the thing, right? It's not, it's not, it's our birthright is to be in bliss, to live an orgasmic, healthy life. That's really what it's all about. But we live in this world where the opposite is promoted and everyone is kind of taught to be a victim that being sick is being cool that it gives you an identity think of all these youngsters these days these white youngsters who um feel so much shame and so much guilt for being white that they are declaring themselves homosexuals or transsexuals or quote non-binary because they know it's a safe way to be accepted when they take on that transsexual or homosexual victim consciousness, right? We're seeing a lot of this with supposedly autistic girls too, which may or may not even be autistic. I really think that that word has been completely and totally um, really misused. Like, of course, there's a situation where someone is like really nonverbal and really locked in, but that's very different than someone who's just maybe a little peculiar and now we're getting all these adult diagnoses for um, autism, you know, or Asperger's or ADHD. How many adults are around going there, around saying, oh, I have ADHD to excuse their just their lack of regulation, right? Their lack of nervous system regulation, their addicted to their addiction to stimulants, their addiction to blue light. No, 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 it's none of that. It's ADHD. That's acceptable in this society, right? And we also think about when we walk around in public, I think about Manhattan. There's a reason why there's a pizza place, a coffee shop, uh, a convenience store, and now a marijuana dispensary on every block in the city, essentially. It's not because they want you to be healthy and like have a good time and party. It's because they want you to be addicted to things that give you artificial dopamine. And it's working. The pogrom is working. 
people are falling for it everywhere you go it smells like all of those things too like even even around here like in my area like you smell people smoking marijuana like at 8 a.m in the morning um it's crazy it's really really crazy and i know that the world has gotten to be a more toxic and it appears to be a harder place to be living right now um but channeling that out or tuning out and and using these stimulants is just going to prolong the time in which we actually wake up to the reality of things that's why i play that song at the beginning your time is going to come because the time is going to come when we all realize what we've been doing and how we have to change these things right i mean who wants to follow the herd who wants to be anesthetized on on cheap zog stimulation i personally do not let's see we've got someone else here the dude sean he's saying i have a tan they are actually just greta thunberg syndrome <laughs> early bird catches the worm the tequila worm yeah maybe tequila is a kind of a harsh harsh beverage right there it's a weird it's a weird alcohol it's the alcohol that's kind of like the upper it's, it's weird stuff so we're almost at the one hour mark i am going to play us a song and then we'll be back for the second part of the show talking about uh interesting stuff as we continue on white wellness radio i am your host tabitha this is stimulation nation be back in just a moment Everybody is dancing in the moonlight. Everybody is dancing in the moonlight. Everybody. 
and we are back. This is White Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Tabitha, and you are listening to Stimulation Nation. That song was Dancing in the Moonlight by King Harvest back in 1972. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about the liver, the metabolism, keeping cool, the relationship between blood sugar and blue light, um, the habituation or the dependency on stimulants and how they are pushed all the time. So now I want to talk a little bit about um, coffee, actually. Take a little bit of a different angle from coffee and a little bit about caffeine addiction too, but specifically coffee, because that seems to be more of a substance that is addictive compared to, let's say, uh, tea or yerba mate. Uh, There's a couple of guryanas, another type of tea. There's a few, but coffee, especially here in the the States, is really a big thing. I think like 90% of people actually drink it. Now, here's kind of a a fun fact that maybe you didn't know. I didn't know this until recently. Plenty of us know that um, back in the day, not too long back in the day either, the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, used to list homosexuality in that book as a mental disorder. And it also used to list uh, transsexualism. I think specifically autogynephilia was listed in that book as a mental disorder. Uh, Of course, now those are lifestyles and those are no longer considered mental disorders. And I definitely believe that autogynephilia is a a mental illness. I would even go so far to say that it's a fetish. It's a fetish based on uh, misogyny. It's a fetish based on objectification. It's a fetish based on narcissism. Crazy stuff. I probably say anyone who has this probably brain damage too. And I would say with homosexuality, I'm not sure if it's a mental disorder. I would say more that it's the result of perhaps um, brain damage. And I think brain damage is a little bit different than a mental disorder. Or maybe you could say that when someone has brain damage, they have a mental disorder. Those are kind of my, my thoughts on that. There's an interesting doctor. He was actually, I guess, he really wasn't an allopath. I think he was an MD, Dr. Henry G. Beeler. I've talked about him on a couple of shows. He believed that homosexuality was the result of toxicity and oftentimes a head injury, like a concussion, could make a person become attracted to the same sex. His his information is really, really cool. Uh, He was an outdoorsman. He was against germ theory. He used uh, dietary therapy to help his patients. He knew about liver health. He knew about thyroid health. He himself had formerly been sick and overweight when he was gorging himself on all types of toxic foods. And then he cleaned his diet up and then he never prescribed pills again. And then he used dietary therapy to cure his patients. So anyway, back in the day, caffeine addiction, I think used to be considered a mental disorder. Hmm. Interesting, right? This is a big thing. I mean, I think about this sometimes. What would happen if tomorrow we wake up and there's no coffee shop, there is no coffee available for consumption at any restaurant or any store, 
and all the coffee that you have in your house is all you have and that's it. It almost becomes like a prohibition type of thing. What would happen? Would, would mayhem break out here? I don't know. I think it would be a pretty intense situation. So it looks like in the DSM-5, which is the most recent version of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, both caffeine withdrawal and caffeine overdose make it onto the list or in, into the latest diagnostic manual. So caffeine addiction is not yet classified as a mental disorder, but caffeine withdrawal and caffeine overdose is considered a mental disorder. And I've listened to some podcasts from people who went through uh, withdrawal, like a cold turkey withdrawal from coffee, and it's pretty bad. Usually you think of withdrawal, you think of, you know, someone quitting booze, someone quitting heroin, cocaine, maybe even marijuana. But caffeine um, withdrawal is intense. Here are some of the signs of an overdose. Restlessness, nervousness, excitement, insomnia, a flushed face, frequent urination, upset stomach, diarrhea, muscle spasm, fast and incoherent speech, irregular heartbeat, periods of inexhaustibility, and psychomotor agitation. And interestingly enough, Henry G. Beeler, who I just referenced a moment ago, he believed that all of the heart conditions were more common from caffeine or coffee specifically than they were from tobacco or smoking. And we see that today in this world, caffeine and tobacco are terribly villainized. You're an absolute pariah if you utilize those things. Um, here in New York State, the government is trying to, uh, I think, ban the sale of all tobacco products, but is promoting marijuana like it's nobody's business. And of course, I'm sure that she, or maybe it's a tranny, he was told that this is what you have to do when you get into office, whatever. But it's very interesting how they always talk all the negative stuff about tobacco, but uh, caffeine is promoted, alcohol is promoted, marijuana is promoted. Interesting. Caffeine withdrawal as a mental disorder. So here are the symptoms of caffeine withdrawal. Headaches, constipation, lethargy, inability to concentrate, depression, and muscle stiffness. So caffeine addiction, the reason it's not listed in the DSM-5 is because, well, most people are addicted to it. That's why. Like I was listening to a podcast a while ago, and it was about uh, the pros and cons of marijuana. And it was all this information about, you know, how bad weed is, how bad cigarettes are, how bad alcohol is. But no, 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 no mention of caffeine, no mention of coffee. And I can tell when I listen to a podcast if the person podcasting is on coffee because they're talking like they're on speed. That's another thing I really have a gripe with in regards to the pro-metabolic movement. They're all hopped up on coffee and they think it's like stimulating their thyroid. Like they have to admit that like it's a drug like anything else. Just admit it. Just be like, hey, yeah, I use a drug every morning to get myself going, you know, whatever, you know, I mean, it's just crazy. It really is crazy. I think it should be in the same category. Coffee should be in the same category as, you know, weed, cocaine, all of those things. Because when people stop using it, they have serious withdrawal, right? 
So caffeine is consumed daily by billions of people worldwide with very little to no health consequences, as they're saying. I don't necessarily know if that's true. And I think that the coffee is very different than the tea. Um, coffee kind of borrows energy that you have, that you don't have from the future, causes things like adrenal fatigue. Uh, it's a phytoestrogen. It also has something called, what's that stuff? Kohler, I always mispronounce this. It's not in tea. I think it's spelled chlorogenic acid. Chlorogenic acid. It's a phenolic acid that's found in coffee. And this is the thing that's in coffee that they say gives you the benefits, but I believe it's the thing that causes the deleterious effects. Here we are. I found it. Yes, so side effects of chlorogenic acid in the body are abnormally high levels of homostysine. High levels of homostysine can damage the inside of your arteries and increase your risk of forming blood clots. This may increase your risk for heart attack and stroke and other heart diseases and blood vessel disorders. Consuming a high dose of chlorogenic acid might, might increase the homeostysine levels, which is linked to conditions like heart disease and anxiety disorders. And the green coffee, remember that whole trend about a decade ago, the whole green coffee extract trend as like weight loss, the caffeine in green coffee might make anxiety worse. And coffee is also a very processed food compared to tea. Tea is just um, fermented and dried for the most part. The darker more caffeinated teas like the oolong, the pu'er, the black, those are highly fermented. The green and the white are not, but it's just dried. I mean, the same thing's true of wheat. It's just dried, right? But with coffee, it has to be roasted. And oftentimes now they're giving people low acid coffee. People are buying low acid coffee because I think this chlorogenic acid is the thing that causes um, gastritis, or like, you know, sensitive guts for a lot of people. And because of the high level of homostysine, it also causes arterial issues, like a risk of forming blood clots, um, heart attack, stroke. And we're always told that coffee is good for our livers. I think the opposite is, is true. In TCM, they think it's actually not something that's very good. If anything, green tea would be a lot better because green tea can actually help dissolve fat in the body. And also it can get rid of dampness. Now, when someone is damp, I did a bunch of shows a while ago about dampness. Typically damp people are fatigued, they're overweight. Uh, all signs point to a chi or mitochondrial issue, uh, a liver functioning issue, fatty liver, cholestasis, etc. So caffeine from coffee is actually the opposite of what you would want. They're also saying that... Um, Coffee has no, uh, well, coffee is addictive. It doesn't have fostered deep psychological or physiological dependency. I don't think that's true, considering when people give it up, they are like a different person. So it's a lot here about it. Um, let's go into this a little bit deeper, this whole coffee thing. Very interesting, especially since we live in a world where so many people uh, want to believe it's good because they use it. We all want to believe what we use 
is good hell, right? I mean, of course we do. Do we actually want to admit that what we're doing is terrible for us? Probably, probably not. So here we go. Where is it? Okay. Some facts about coffee that might shock you. It decreases gray matter in the brain. Just 10 days of its use significantly decreases gray matter, specifically in the hippocampus, which can limit consciousness. The hippocampus generates theta activity, which is responsible for creativity, cardiovascular resonance, quantum enlightenment, etc. Huh, I wonder why it's promoted. That's funny. Promotes fear conditioning. Now, this is a big thing, especially when people usually refer to coffee as liquid anxiety. And like I said earlier, how many people do you know who are depressed or anxious? They feel terrible. They complain about how terrible they feel. They're stuck in this victim consciousness. They're actually comfortable with this victim mentality. It promotes fear conditioning. Surprise, surprise. Impaired memory formation leads to pattern separation deficit or the inability to healthily adapt to a changing environment, which leads to depression and anxiety. Impaired hippocampal function is the main cause of anxiety and depressive disorders. So if someone is taking lots of coffee in, eating a diet that's low in protein, specifically could probably be low in nutrients and minerals as well, their circadian rhythm health is in the toilet, of course they're going to be anxious and depressed right? And let's say these people had something really messed up happen in their life, a big trauma, a big tragedy, right? Not just like mild stuff, big stuff, right? It's going to be a lot harder for them to overcome these tragedies, right? And there are people in the world who have gone through literally hell, literally hell on on this plane. And they are in a position now where They can't imagine their life being any better because they've created that for themselves. So just because you've been through hell doesn't mean that you're used or damaged or you're beyond repair or any of these things. Those are all mental programs, pogroms. It's really your mindset based on how you fuel yourself. That's really what makes the big difference. But if you're living a life where you're in a fear consciousness, where you're demineralized, devitalized, and you're not in the rhythm with nature, of course you're going to feel terrible. It also inhibits neurogenesis. The hippocampus is the primary region responsible for new neuron formation needed for learning and memory storage. So I think it actually gives people poor memory. It makes me think of that research paper from years ago. It shows a spider. A spider who's asked to make a web on cocaine, on marijuana, on coffee, and I think booze. And the most messed up web of all those, it was the coffee web. It wasn't the coke one. It wasn't the booze and the marijuana. It was the coffee. Interesting. It also reduces cerebral blood flow, reduces blood flow to the brain by about 27%, impairing cognitive functioning, rendering it zognitive function, and slowing down detox and regeneration pathways. That sucks. Uh, So we should really be getting sun. We should be exercising. Uh, If we are going to use any type of caffeine, make it be something like green tea, 
which at least has some benefits of dissolving fat in the system, of getting rid of dampness, of getting rid of overweight, right? As opposed to something like coffee, which has this chlorogenic acid, which can damage the gut, um, which can cause cardiac issues, high blood pressure, so many negative things. Um, And I think that the more toxic a person's liver is and the lower their thyroid function the more they're going to be habituated to a hardcore stimulant and it is a hardcore stimulant i mean and the worst thing you can do is wake up straight away look at your mobile device and then immediately take the drug in right as opposed to maybe you go outside first you get good sun you have a nourishing breakfast then maybe after that you have the coffee, right? But to do it first thing in the morning, like you're really not giving your body a chance to wake up. And then you're really like becoming very, very habituated, very addicted to something that really cannot um, serve you. So it's not just the substance itself, it's how we use it. So maybe you don't do it every single day. Like I said, maybe you don't do it straight away first thing in the morning, but You have to ask yourself, if you don't feel good, are you getting enough protein? Are you living off of stimulants? And sugar's a stimulant too, you have to remember that as well. And are you keeping a circadian rhythm that's in line with nature? Are you blasting blue lights at night? Are you sitting in front of a Talmud vision screen that's blasting blue light at you, right? These are all essentially choices that we're making. Sometimes it just takes, you know, a little bit of time to say, oh, you know what, I, I was I was choosing suboptimal living standards. I was choosing a suboptimal diet. I was choosing a suboptimal circadian rhythm schedule. It just takes admitting these things to ourselves. Let's take a gander. Okay, got some people in the chat. All right, so what else do I want to talk about? So when our liver is healthy, we can experience lots of benefits. So the potential benefits of improving your liver would be things like a better fat metabolism for easier weight loss, a reduction in things like cholesterol and triglycerides. We don't want that to be super, super low, but people really only get it super, super low when they're doing something like veganism or taking something like a Lipitor. You can reduce your blood pressure. You can have better, quote, immune function, just consider it a better support system, if anything. A reduction in headaches, including migraines. So migraines are tied to liver toxicity. Increased energy levels, of course. When we have fatigue and things like that, it's because the liver is on lag. Clearer and less puffy eyes will help our liver health, or our liver health will be benefited by having less of that. A reduction in allergies and chemical sensitivities. How many times have you heard someone say they now have an allergy to something or they now developed an allergy to something? That's because time went by and their liver got more toxic. Clearer skin with a reduction of brown liver spots and rashes. And I know in the pro-metabolic community they like to say that the hyperpigmentation, the lipofusin on the skin is from polyunsaturated fats. No, that is not the whole story. Um, it's from a liver that needs help. It's not just it's not just that easy. If that was the case, then everybody who ever ate an industrial zog seed oil 
will be covered in those things. And that's clearly not what's going on. Just like it's not just from vitamin A, that's part of the story. And we'll talk a little bit about my thoughts now on vitamin A um, months later. What is it, seven months later since I did that show, The Ancestral Con? Uh, a reduction in blood sugar levels when your liver is healthy. You'll be less moody with a clearer mind. If you're less moody with a clearer mind, there's less of a chance that you're going to be drawn to stimulants in the first place, right? Improved digestion, also a reason you might be drawn to less stimulants. A lot of people utilize coffee to induce peristalsis to, um, to have a bowel movement, right? If you need to do that to have a bowel movement, liver damage is at play. Less abdominal bloating, as well as less constipation. So all like literally great things that probably all of us want if we don't have them currently. But then again, this takes work. We can't just like pop a pill or pop a supplement and think everything's going to be cream cheese and work its way out and be totally, you know, fix itself just from doing that. We have to be dedicated and take responsibility for this. Now, what would be some signs and symptoms of a fatty liver or cholestasis. Now let's just review again what cholestasis is. We've talked about this before on broadcasts. Cholestasis is a condition in which the liver's bile production is reduced and the bile flow into the small intestine becomes impeded. And these days, based on multiple things, just living in this world, just being alive, just taking in a breath of air, everyone's going to have at least subclinical cholestasis, if not more of a full-blown type of deal going on. So what are some types of symptoms that someone might be having when their liver is on the fritz? Fatigue upon waking, falling asleep during the day, low testosterone in men and thus a low libido we're being told by all these liver pushers that liver will raise your testosterone but if your liver is overburdened consuming foods that are high in vitamin a is actually going to lower your testosterone because a taxed liver can not store the vitamin a uh, increase in weight gain, increase in blood pressure, a higher risk for heart attacks and strokes. Those are some of the things right there. And oh, there's a bit more. Uh, abdominal bloat and congestion, pain or discomfort around the liver. That's not a good sign. If you have a pot belly, especially with upper abdominal fat known as a liver roll, that's a sign of fatty liver. If you have indigestion or intolerance of fatty foods, reflux and heartburn, hemorrhoids, fatty yellowish lumps in the skin and often around the eyes, overheating of the body, excessive sweating, body odor, BO, right? All these people who are wearing deodorant, deodorant, give that shit up. That is such a waste of time. But you can use the information if you have BO and you smell, you can say, ah, maybe my liver is not working correctly. But I mean, deodorant is just, I can't believe I actually ever used that stuff. I gave it up. I think it's been almost like six years now. I would 
never use it again and I would never be in a relationship with someone who used it either. Um, it's just disgusting, honestly. Uh, having bad breath and a coated tongue, also a sign of a liver issue. Red, itchy, um, or dry eyes, itchy skin. And what do we do when someone's got like a skin itch? They go to uh, Dr. Zog, dermatologist, put this steroid cream on it. Suppress, suppress um, the symptomatic function of a shitty liver and coat it with this steroid cream. That's not gonna do anything. All it's gonna do is put off what has to be dealt with now. Also skin rashes like dermatitis, psoriasis, and brown liver spots. How many commercials or adverts are there in the Talmud, on the Talmud Vision, in the quote, health magazines for psoriasis? Young people with psoriasis, these are people with extremely sick livers. Acne rosacea, that's a sign of a sick liver. Redness of the palms, hot or burning soles of the feet. Headache, especially a headache associated with nausea. A gallbladder problem. So anyone who has a gallbladder problem, um, a missing gallbladder, that's a sign that the liver is not good. Unexplained weight gain, weight you can't get rid of, fatty liver. Even the inability to lose weight whilst dieting is a sign. High blood pressure, high levels of cholesterol and triglycerides, depressed and unpleasant moods, that's not normal. Sleep disorders like snoring and sleep apnea, we said this before, but low T in men and low libido, we see an epidemic of men with low T and low libido. We also see men who even some of them had that lordosis, that bottom curvature of the spine that we see in women that becomes more pronounced during the third trimester of pregnancy. And these are not trannies. I don't think these are trannies. I think these are just men who have been so feminized by having such fatty cholestatic livers that their liver is like full of estrogen, their testosterone is so low. Oftentimes they have a large pot belly, they have gynecomastia, so they have breasts, they're losing their hair. This is all because their liver is fatty. All right, so let's talk a little bit now about cholestasis and my thoughts on vitamin A. After I did all those shows about vitamin A and we were talking earlier about, is this a vitamin? What is this? So I'm gonna discuss what I think that is. So cholestasis, like I said prior, it's a condition in which the liver's bile production is reduced and bile flow into the small intestine becomes impeded. So in this state, bile, the most toxic substance in the body, basically liver poop, liver feces, begins to back up in the liver, ultimately leaking back into the bloodstream. This makes it nearly impossible to detox because the liver is unable to move the bile out of the body, but the toxins it has sequestered actually begin to re-enter circulation, leading to systemic inflammation. And this is the beginning of a feedback loop that accumulates in every single disorder, all the disorders. So this is why if, if this was promoted or, or uh, out there more with consciousness, the whole house of allopathy would all all fall, but they have to have, you know, you go here for this part of your body, here for this part of your body, take this shitty medicine, this shitty supplement. But having a sick liver is the root. Systemic inflammation is how disease occurs in the first place. And this happens from exposure to heavy metals in our environment, right? So all disease is rooted in liver damage due to mineral imbalance that results in cholestasis, 
And also we have low minerals when we have this cholestatic situation. Many of us are eating foods that are completely and totally devitalized, which are very high in heavy metals. Some of us work in industries where we're exposed to heavy metals. Some of us have taken long-term medication. Um, some of us are drinkers. There's so many that having a blood transfusion could be a way to get heavy metals, eating a lot of canned food, being overweight, um, sharing needles or recreational drugs with other people, working around chemicals, like I said. I mean, chemical jobs, those are, there are many jobs that fit into that qualification of chemicals. Someone who's a hairdresser would be one. Uh, let me just see where this is. This is important. But a lot of people work in these industries where their uh, toxin exposure is more. So a painter, a hairdresser, a nail tech, engineers, uh, motor mechanics, agricultural workers, a foundry worker, plumber, electrician, plant and transport operators, and some process and factory workers are exposed to high loads of potential liver toxins, such as petrochemicals, insecticides, solvents, and heavy metals. So something to consider as, as well is one's industry. So what happens is heavy metals and, and toxins accumulate in the liver, specifically things like mercury, and this will displace things like copper and iron. There's a lot of talk these days about copper and iron, a lot of talk about iron overload, a lot of talk about blood donation to get rid of iron overload, a lot of talk about um, gaslighting people, that there's no such thing as copper toxicity, and then a lot of these pro-metabolic people and these Weston A. Price people telling people to eat all of these foods that are very high in copper, specifically beef liver or ruminant liver is very high in copper. Um, bee pollen is very high in copper, things like that. So oftentimes what would happen is that um, these sulfur-containing metal-binding proteins called thiol groups have a higher affinity for heavy metals and they bind to them as copper and iron become displaced, leading to, quote, free iron and free copper. And then these, in these unbound states, they become highly reactive to H2O2. And then we have oxidation of free radicals and essentially like a, a rusting of the body, an oxidative stress, which leads to liver scarring and fibrosis, as well as damaging the bile ducts. And this is how cholestasis starts. And of course, many of us grew up eating a diet which was high in iron fortified foods, right? The Wonder Bread, the Ritz crackers, the Pop-Tarts, etc. And men don't get a chance to really get that out of their system. Women at least have the monthly bleed for many decades. So on top of all this, we have all these people these days. Um, liver, of course, becomes injured through this whole process I just explained. And now we have all of these people these days who are promoting um, vitamin A. Vitamin A has been all the rage, all the sass, um, the trend, the big trend these days to promote it. And like I said in my Ancestral Con show, Dr. Weston A. Price, his whole body of work was not about the promotion of vitamin A. It was about vitamin K, which he called Activator X. At the time, he didn't really know it was vitamin K, but he called it Activator X because everyone he went to see they had a diet that had those foods in it, and most people in the modern context, their diet is lacking in, in vitamin K. But the foundation, which was formed in 1999, and of course Price was, was long dead when the foundation was formed, 
they promote vitamin A, they promote liver, they promote cod liver oil, they promote um, tons of fat, which actually makes it, when a liver is already in a cholestatic state, it makes it harder for the liver to break these things down when you keep on taxing it and taxing it and taxing it. They promote tons of orange vegetables and orange fruits and all of these heavy foods where when someone's liver is very burdened, they can't eat all these foods. Now, when someone's liver has been cleansed, can they eat a normal amount of these foods that have vitamin A? Well, that's what our ancestors did and, and they were doing all right. But in the modern context, like I said earlier, most of us at least have subclinical cholestasis. Some of us are even worse that we can't pound these foods and expect health. But vitamin A lately has been all the rage. We have people like Liver King who recently came out saying that he uh, is a steroid user. That shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. Also notice that every one of his supplements from Ancestral Supplements, I guess this is his supplement brand, every single one of them, I, I caught on to this a while ago, every single one of his supplements has liver in it. So you wanna buy thyroid, it's got liver. You wanna buy brain, it's got liver. You wanna buy pancreas, it's got liver. You wanna buy heart, it's got liver. And also Paul Saladino, who's originally promoted the carnivore diet, got sick on that. Now he's promoting this like fruit and meat diet uh, all of his supplements, also the heart and soil line, also every single one of them has liver in them. Both these guys are pushing these organ meat heavy diets. And I was wondering this today too, uh, before we had the whole supplement and vitamin industry, uh, it was said that people were eating a lot of these organs as a way to get their like supplement or, or vitamins. And now I'm wondering if the promotion of eating all of these forms of OFAL was the beginning of the programming consciousness to get people to basically go over to vitamins, thinking that they needed to eat these things that don't taste very good. I don't think anyone would say these things taste good. Maybe you could argue that heart tastes okay because heart is essentially a muscle, but the other stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't taste good. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Like liver does not taste good. Kidneys taste like piss. They don't taste good. So maybe the idea of people eating these back in the day before the Rockefeller vitamin and supplement industry really took it took place and you know took off. This was a way of conditioning our ancestors that they had to eat something to basically supplement their diet because their diet wasn't enough. Like someone asked me yesterday in the white wellness chat, if you don't eat liver, how do you get all these nutrients? I just like, you know, named off a bunch of foods that I eat that have the same nutrients in them. So, oh, and this is something that is worth mentioning both Liver King's um, Company of Supplements, Ancestral Supplements, and Paul Saladino's Heart and Soil, they're both owned by the same holding company. That's interesting. So they're pushing vitamin A. Morley Robbins, the whole root cause protocol, he's pushing vitamin A, he's pushing copper. Um, the whole pro-metabolic community is pushing liver and they're pushing copper. Some of the carnivore people are pushing liver, not all of them, because some of them are just muscle meat carnivores, but they can still get things like iron overload and um, hypothyroidism from you know eating like a very narrow and imbalanced diet. And of course, someone like Matt Blackburn, who has a new idea on things every single day, he's constantly flitting and fleeting. Uh, he's a big promoter of cod liver oil, as is the Weston A. Price Foundation, when in reality, Weston A. Price actually said years ago when he was alive that 
cod liver oil, too much of it was injurious. That was his word. That's like an old fashioned way of saying it could injure someone from back in the day. But he was more a promoter of skate liver oil, which is actually much lower in vitamin A. So we see how they've really taken these foods and made us believe they were traditional and they're using them to basically toxify people who already have a cholestatic or a fatty liver and they can't even afford to take the extra hit. Yet we're, many of us, I, I fell for this too, you know, I'm guilty of it. We are eating these things or we're eating these things thinking like, oh, I'm doing something good for myself. Like I'm doing something better than people who are just eating the sad diet, the vegan diet, Mediterranean, whatever diet people were doing. But these, these diets, these people, these promoters, this whole push for all of this OFAL, all this vitamin A is actually causing liver damage to people. So it, how zaggy is that? They tell you to eat liver because it's going to raise your testosterone and like make you like super healthy when it actually causes liver damage. So as the liver's storage capacity for vitamin A declines, because we're so, you know, filled up with all these toxins, what happens with all that dietary vitamin A? It goes directly into the bloodstream and that's where the danger lies. People familiar with things like, um, retinols or retin-A, this is used for chemical peels. This is what vitamin A actually does in the bloodstream. It's highly acidic and it will dissolve cells. Accutane or Roaccutane, which is called across the pond, is a prescription acne drug, which is essentially a high dose of synthetic vitamin A, which for many people gave them liver damage, can also initiate the process of cholestasis. And now, from how I can see it from this real panoramic view, vitamin A is not, not a vitamin, like Dr. Garrett Smith thinks it's just this toxin. It's something that acts like a toxin if we have a liver that's overburdened. It's something that our ancestors, because they had much cleaner environments for all the reasons we already know, they weren't blue light toxic, they didn't live in zog fog, they weren't vaccinated, they weren't born in hospitals, they didn't grow up on, on shitty food. They had better livers and they also were spending all their time outside keeping circadian rhythm health. So it was okay for them to eat certain foods that had vitamin A, but the average normal person who's cholestatic, whose liver could be borderline fatty or just completely fatty, the vitamin A will go into the bloodstream and poison them. So that's where it really lays with my opinions on, you know, vitamin A. Like, yes, it is a fat soluble vitamin, but if we have too much of it, this is what happens. So we end up developing cholestasis because we have toxins that are perpetually and chronically recirculating in the bloodstream. And then that leads to inflammation. And then this can lead to all the modern Zog diseases, quote, autoimmune disease, which they always tell you is your body um, poisoning yourself, which in a way that's true, things like ALS, MS, lupus, etc., cancer, all the digestive issues, um, all the brain and neurological diseases, all the skin diseases, all the joint issues, all the hair loss, all the hormone issues, right? Uh, this is what happens when we have an unbound amount of an excess of this vitamin that the liver cannot clear 
there is a such thing as having too much nutrition. That's another thing in TCM. We talk about dampness of the body. Damp people usually have fatigue. They're overweight. It's over nutrition, which we see these days with a lot of these kind of, you know, diets that fall more kind of in the animal-based thing. It's over nutrition. Yes, there is a such thing as having too much of something. Too much of something is not a good thing. Um, we've got uh, some things right here. We've got Baram saying, hey, Tabitha, great to catch your show. Hope you are well. Yeah, I am well. Thanks for being here. I'm glad you're in the chat. So when we have this cholestatic state, estrogen increases and testosterone falls, which is why we see women with estrogen dominance, why we see males with estrogen dominance. This is a bad situation. Then we have this unbound free copper increasing estrogen uh, and converting more androgens into estrogen. Androgens would normally be converted into testosterone, but the testosterone gets converted into estrogen and then estrogen dominance becomes prevalent. So if you've got fatty liver and you're a guy, you've got estrogen dominance, possibly low testosterone. And this can lead to things like insulin resistance in both sexes, PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, a very common thing in women these days, um, and hormonally driven cancers, things like prostate cancer, which seem to be on the rise with males. I hear all these terrible commercials. Well, I don't hear them currently, but I had about, you know, radiating your prostate, just really just, and that's the thing. Once you um, acquire one of these conditions and a diagnosis via Dr. Zog, then it's so brutal what they want to do to you. It's so brutal. Like first they want to pathologize your body and then they want to do these brutal things and just treat your body like you're a car. Like a lot of these allopaths, like they're just nothing but mechanics essentially. So exogenous estrogens, things like birth control pills or um, xenoestrogens also create the same effect. And we also have an epidemic where testosterone levels in guys has dropped like 50% within just the last 20 years. So think back to like the beginning of this century when like, you know, like when the um, Zog detonated the towers, you know, 9-11, the testosterone level was 50% higher just 20 years ago. And it's not just like because of like trannies, like, yeah, trannies, that's a, that's a big thing. Maybe everyone who thinks they're a tranny is like cholestatic and has fatty liver, who is just really just a messed up person or has been programmed and just like has like brain drain from all like the blue light toxicity and like this, the sick liver. But it's got to be more than that because plenty of guys who like aren't trannies have testosterone issues and high estrogen. Plenty of women who aren't trannies have low progesterone and high estrogen. It's just it's just a sign of these times. So something else, another way that cholestasis will disrupt hormonal balance is how it negatively impacts thyroid function. We hear so much these days about thyroid health. We hear about this from the functional realm. We hear about this a lot from the pro-metabolic realm. And typically they're promoting a diet that's very high in vitamin A, high in foods that are either animal foods and plant foods that are high in vitamin A. And they're also just using drugs to uh, take the edge off, you know, which is just going to basically ameliorate your symptoms. It's not going to get to the root cause, right? And also when you go to see Dr. Z, 
they only give you a test for TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone. They never check your T4 and your T3, but you need T4, which is the thyroid hormone. It's the more active form. No, if it's the less active form, it has to be converted to the more active form T3. But if your liver is damaged, that conversion is difficult to do. And then what happens is TSH goes up and um, your inflammation, of course, is high when your TSH is high. And then that consequential um, basically cascade creates an overstimulation of the HPAA, the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis, which is responsible for the production of the thyroid stimulating hormone. And this results in a stress response and the overproduction of cortisol, which, which accumulates in adrenal fatigue. People who have hypothyroidism, they get their energy, not just from drugs like coffee, but they also get their energy from drugs like sugar, and they get their energy from running on stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline, as opposed to running on sex hormones. And when you run on stress hormones, you can't be chill. You can't be relaxed. That's the thing, because there's a conversion going, a conversion um, that's trying to go on, but it can't go on. So we have high inflammation, and then the body is trying so hard to regulate itself and it starts to pump out cortisol, which in small amounts, like in the morning, our cortisol is supposed to naturally rise a little bit. That's normal. And then it's supposed to wane as the day goes by. But if you've got an underlying disorder because of cholestasis or fatty liver and you're using stimulants slash drugs, you're going to be pumping out all of these stress hormones and you're going to wonder why you're depressed, why you're anxious. So you see the cascade effect. And to top it off, We've got all these environmental toxins in the world. We've got the heavy metals. We've got um, glyphosate. Uh, we've got all of these things, to, you know, just more insult to injury. So there is a solution. And I actually am in the middle of, not the middle, I'm in the beginning phases, something like day five or so, of doing a liver detoxification protocol right now. Um, it's pretty easy to do. You don't have to starve yourself, which is awesome. You don't have to eat super restrictive, which is awesome. And you basically just take a couple of supplements for about 30 days and you get your body flowing again. You get your chi flowing again. You get your mitochondria flowing again. And you're doing it by using something that's been used in traditional Chinese medicine for about 3,000 years, something that most people have never heard of, it's called tudka. It's actually a bile acid. Um, the real name of it, or the pharmaceutical, the, the pharmaceutical, the actual scientific name is toro, torosodexiacolic acid. That is um, what is tudka. What tudka is? It's a neuroprotective supplement, so it helps all different types of things from um, brain issues to thyroid issues to digestive issues to hormone issues to, quote, autoimmune, because all of this points back to liver problems, right? That's the main game. The older we get, the more toxicity that we accumulate, the more our liver is going to take the hit. And in traditional Chinese medicine, they have a whole thing in their pharmacopoeia where they would use all different types of bile acids from all these different animals, from ruminant animals, from birds, from fish. So this is like old school stuff. It isn't just like some new stuff that is like just, just hit, you know, the press that's being talked about on YouTube by, you know, 
people who don't really know what they're talking about or they're being paid to talk about it. This is old school Chinese medicine stuff. Um, and I really resonate the most with the Ayurvedic and the Chinese stuff because that's the stuff that's really stood the test of time. So when your bile is sludgy and you're not producing enough bile on your own because of cholestasis, you cannot digest and absorb fats and nutrients from the foods that you eat which is not a good sign. Um, and then of course your cholesterol can rise, your amount of bacteria in your body can rise. I remember bacteria, I know from like, you know, the, the terrain, the GNM stuff, they tell us it's a healing thing, but there's a reason why someone would have an influx of too much bacteria. It's not just that they're trying to heal, it's that the body is unable to break this down because there's a lack of key flow. There's a lack of mitochondrial flow because the bile is sludgy from having this cholestatic situation. So Tudka acts as a mitochondrial stabilizer. It helps in neurogenitive diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, Huntington's disease, and all the other things I discussed earlier. So you don't take this forever. You take this for a period of time to get things moving again. And then of course you realize that you've been psyoped and that the majority of the health information out there is to make people who care about their health not healthy. And it's all over Instagram, it's all over YouTube, it's all over everywhere. So this liver cleanse I'm doing, it's from a company called Clearly. I'm gonna put this into the show notes in case anybody is appetized by this. I think I already mentioned it on um, the White Wellness um, Telegram, but if you're interested in this, you could you could check it out. It's Tudka with a bunch of different supplements that also help um, with liver detox like zinc, selenium, uh, phospholipocholine, uh, taurine, NAC, things like that, glycine, etc. And so far I've really been enjoying how I feel and it's just really very simple. You can go on the website and find a lot of the information. If you're interested, I'm not affiliated in any way and I get no um, compensation for this. I'm just putting it out there because I want people to be happy. I want people to be healthy. I want people to live a long time. I want them to enjoy their lives. I want them to have a good time with other people and I don't want to see people being sick and depressed and anxious, and then just, you know, basically wallowing in this victim frequency. It's, um, it's not a good thing. Um, the more of us that are healthy, the better it is for uh, creating a change in this world. So once your baseline liver health is achieved, you can return back to eating more of a normative way. And then you can live your life and you won't have to like worry about every little thing bothering you or every little thing hurting you or not being able to go to the bathroom or not being able to sleep or getting so emotionally irritated by something like it's you can go back to feeling uh, normal right as opposed to just feeling like super duper stressed and then getting into the thing where you know maybe you're done with the allopath so you do the functional route and you're like oh i'm gonna take all these supplements and that is a band-aid that is never going to get to the root, the root cause of what's going on. And dietary wise, in case anyone is interested in what one is eating during this uh, time of doing the liver detox, it's um, basically a diet that would be a high in protein, especially things like um, chicken and turkey, 
is that if someone has iron overload, they want to go a little lower on the red meats, uh, less seafood because of the, the heavy metals. Even the wild seafood can have heavy metals. So you don't have to 100% give those up, but make, you know, more of the crux of your plan, you know, chickens and turkeys and things like that. Just, you know, get, get rid of like the fat, like, cause that fat is kind of, kind of gnarly. I usually will use some other type of fat to cook it in. Keep the fat lower at this point, because when you eat, I'm not talking low fat. I said lower fat. When you eat lower fat, you can free up available bile to speed digestion, increase bile flow. That's the goal. You want to get bile flowing. You want to get pooping. Um, you also want to eat adequate fiber salads some low vitamin a vegetables are really good too i'm liking cauliflower quite a bit zucchini and you also want to eat a good amount of carbs to give quick accessible energy to the liver and i'm not really doing a lot of grains because i don't really think that they digest very well and most of them are refined and all the stuff we kind of already know so for the carbohydrates um potatoes uh, beans fruit a little bit of soaked white rice, but for the most part, you definitely want to cut out things like wheat. Um, you want to cut out liver, kidneys, cod liver oil, all the really high vitamin A foods. And then you just do the cleanse and you poop and you get your bile flowing again. And the older you are, the more medicines you've taken, the more drugs you've taken, the more stimulants you've taken, the more, the more you've basically lived hard the more you probably need the cleanse in the first place. So, yeah. And Balram is saying, I was going to raid your Telegram channel for any fasting content. Well, the beginning of this cleanse actually does call for like a two-day fast, which is optional, especially if someone is uh, constipated. I really didn't do that part. I did take the Senna. Senna is a herb which uh, helps you void your bowels. But I don't really deal with constipation. I did years ago, and it's a bitch not being able to use the toilet. It, it, it's, it's, it stinks. It's awful. But that's not something that I deal with anymore because I've made a lot of corrections uh, in that area. But as far as fasting goes, I think fasting is one of those things that it's been overhyped. It definitely shouldn't be a lifestyle. It's something that maybe someone can do you know, uh, seasonally, maybe in a spiritual sense. They say in the Ayurvedic texts that no more than once a week would someone fast. Um, and for women, you obviously wouldn't want to fast during your period. You wouldn't want to fast when you're pregnant. You wouldn't want to fast immediately postpartum or when you're breastfeeding. I think that's kind of commonsensical. Men, of course, they can take advantage and kind of do these things whenever they want to do them because they're not cyclical beings. They're just, you know, kind of every day their cycle is, they're on a different cycle. We're, we're, we're radically different. I think if you're listening, you know that uh, I believe in biology and that men and women are different, but very complementary. So I think with the fasting thing, you know, maybe once a week is like a reset, but if you're looking to fast because Maybe you're thinking you're not digesting what you're eating right now. Maybe you're thinking you want to lose a couple of pounds. I'm not totally sure what your um, reasons for wanting to do that are. You might be better off doing something like a liver cleanse to get the bile flowing. Because sometimes when we can't digest our food or we feel like we're putting on the pounds, it's because our liver is cholestatic or getting fatty. And we really need to focus on creating more flow as opposed to restricting. Like we're always told through like a lot of this diet culture, restrict, eat more narrow, you know, just eat vegetables, just eat meat. 
like like it becomes more narrow, more narrow, more narrow. Then we see these people doing these diets where they're eating like literally one thing and they're still, they've got all of these symptoms because they haven't addressed the root cause. And the root cause is having key flow, having mitochondrial health, having a healthy liver, having a liver that can basically you know, absorb nutrients, um, not store fat. So we end up looking good and feeling good. So we don't end up running to all of these stimulants, all of these stimulants, whether it be, you know, drugs like coffee or booze or marijuana, whether it be, you know, other drugs like sensory drugs, like pornography, shopping, gaming, antisocial media, blue light, the food drugs like, you know, poofas and, and tranny fats and uh, sugars and things like that, you know, this this music that's really uh, toxic. So take care of your liver and take care of your life. I think that's my message for this um, this broadcast. Barama is saying, I watched a video on how fasting lowers insulin, which then lowers fats and sugars. I mean, temporarily, you know, it, it can kind of do that, but really eating a good diet, eating a diet that is healthy and wholesome, adequate proteins, um, adequate fibers, especially if you're doing a cleanse, things like that. Um, of course, you know, diets can change seasonally too. If we're in January in the Northeast, we're going to be eating different than someone who's living in the tropics in July. And of course we eat different depending on what stage of life we are. A, ma a man might need a different diet than a woman. Maybe he's going to work every day and he has, you know, requirements for more energy, but he has to eat more protein. Oftentimes a lot of men need more protein than more women. Women might need more protein during, you know, pregnancy and breastfeeding and things like that. But we have different needs based on our sex and we have different needs based on our season and location. Baram is saying, I work with a man with Parkinson's who's fast because it said it helps his regulation of brain cells. It's possible that can definitely help. A lot of people feel a clearness, a clarity when they fast, but when you clean the liver, you can also feel that clarity as well. So something to consider if you're interested in this. Um, like I said, you can check out, I'm gonna put the link for the liver detox that I'm currently doing. Um, and you can just look into more of this information or you can just re-listen to the show if you caught the end of it and didn't catch the whole show. Oh, you're welcome, Baram. You're, you're very welcome. I'm glad you're here. And I think that's all I have to say. Unless anyone has any other questions they want to ask, uh, feel free to put them into the chat right now. But we're upcoming on the last the last four minutes or so. I think I'm probably going to get uh, the boot over here from um, Podbean. But we talked about a lot today. We talked about the importance of the sun. We talked about um, coffee addiction. We talked about how blue light um, and blood sugar and how the relationship between those two and how uh, blue, blue light can actually mess with our blood sugar. We talked about how the metabolism actually works. We talked about keeping our bodies cool. We talked about cholestasis. We talked about my current thoughts on vitamin A. And we also talked about what happens when your liver is healthy. It is, it is possible to be healthy. Never think that just because you're over a certain age. Like I posted something yesterday on Telegram and it said, um, here it is. We aren't supposed to hit a wall in our thirties and get fat and old. It's a myth that it's downhill after 30 and that after 40 we need meds to feel normal. And yeah, it is a myth. We're not supposed to hit a wall. We're programmed so deeply 
that we're supposed to dry up and get old, especially women, you know, oh, women are useless after a certain age, right? That's such a hoax. What a, what a disgusting program. What if we believe that about our elders? What if we believe that our, our mothers and our grandmothers were useless after a certain age? Like what a, what a sick program. We're not useless. If anything, we become more wizened as we get older. They even say in the Ayurvedic text that a society that doesn't have elders, that doesn't value elders, is a sick society. And look what happened with the whole virus crisis. Well, what did they do? They went into the care homes, the old age homes, the senior homes, and they offed those people first, right? So growing older and creating wisdom and knowledge is a beautiful thing, but our bodies can still be kept good and juicy and healthy. We just have to basically eschew a lot of that stuff that's out there in the media because it's, it's, it's fake. It's a hoax. You're not going to break down when you get older. You have to take care of yourself, though, and, and part and parcel of taking care of yourself is making liver health paramount. That's the thing I want to drive home for this show. And if you're on some type of stim stimulant and you're, you're caught in it, realize that that's probably because there's a liver issue going on. And I'm not just saying this, like sitting on my high horse saying like, oh, you know, everyone listening has a problem and I don't like, I know I used weed for 17 years and it was not helping me. It was not helping my liver. I quit cold Turkey in February and I did it like systematically. I designed myself a program. I'm working on creating a course to help other people. I know a lot of people, especially in the pro white atmosphere are struggling with that. Um, I think men and women are struggling with that. I struggled with it for a long time. It, it sucked. It sucks to have to use something to feel like regulated. It's a really shitty feeling, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, go outside and get some light. Take care of your liver and realize that you don't need exogenous stimulations, that you have enough inside of you. If you live a, a life that's in tune with nature, you won't need to use these things, you'll naturally feel high. That's that's the message here. We're always told, oh, you know, in order to get a good buzz, you've got to use a substance. Like you can't catch a good buzz naturally. A hoax, just like it's a hoax that people are going to get old and like aged and decrepit. You know, um, they're going to like you know be like frail. These are all myths. You have the ability to keep strong and to get a natural high and to feel blissful. It's, it's all a hoax that we're supposed to be depressed and sick. That's just what they want for us. So this is the end of the show. I am Tabitha. You are listening to White Wellness Radio. This has been Stimulation Nation. Be sure to catch all the broadcast over here on White Wellness Radio. Follow me on Telegram. And if you want nutritional counseling, you can contact me for that. And I'm bidding everyone a wonderful Wednesday, wherever you are in this big white world. Thank you for listening, everyone. Sanam.